The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a guest with me, Trent McIntyre. For more than 20 years, Trent has been helping those that experience movement challenges and neurological disorders gain back their mobility, a story that he knows well because he was born with cerebral palsy and was able to retrain his own movement to eliminate the pain and stiffness that he was experiencing daily. Today, Trent teaches his techniques and strategies worldwide to help improve brain performance. And on today's episode, Trent teaches us not only how to improve our brain performance, but also how to lower stress, improve movement quality, and regulate our emotions. Trent, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about how much time has passed. I think it was at least two years ago, if not maybe three years ago, that you were a guest speaker in The Missing Link and my Missing Link members learned all about you. And it's just so fascinating what you do and how you teach people to activate our brain. So I'm excited to get into my questions for you. But before we do that, I'd love to ask you a question from my interview deck to have our listeners get to know you a bit better. So I'm just going to shuffle my cards over here. And your question is, what is the oddest job you ever took to learn a buck? <laughs> well, I think the oddest job was I sold pretzels and it turned out to be one of my favorite jobs, but I was in college. I needed to make money and I sold pretzels and I was really good at it. <laughs> I love that. Were you also the one making the pretzels or just Yeah, you had, you had to make, you had to make them and sell them and serve the toppings and drinks and the whole bit. It's just a little, it's a little kiosk in a mall, but it's like high speed food service, you know, with hungry mall shoppers. So you yeah. have the challenges <laughs> of all of that. I kind of loved it. That's funny. Cause anytime I do go to the mall and I get hungry, that is specifically the place that I look for. And I like getting the pretzel bites with the cheese on the side. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> we had to be able to respond to every request with another question. Like, I want a pretzel. What kind of topping? I want a drink. Do you want a bigger size? I want lemonade. Do you want cherry? Like we had to, I still couldn't remember all the prices and everything because it was a, it was an automatic response. You had to, you were forced to memorize. So, but it was fun. Wow. That's a, that does sound like a lot of work mentally too. <laughs> all right. So I could talk about that for a while, but let's get back into the question. So First and foremost, if we have listeners who maybe haven't heard of you, can you explain who you are and what you do? Yeah. So for about 25 years, I've been helping people restore lost abilities and primarily leveraging how our brain works to do that. 
And it's work that came to me by my own life. I was born with a class one cerebral palsy that I was able to overcome and become a professional dancer. And then I also, as someone that has struggled with reading my whole life, and I actually failed first grade because of it. And the two worlds collided with understanding in, in a more, in a clearer way, the influence that our eyes have over our abilities. And so that's my passion is helping people understand how to train their sensory systems, their eyes and their inner ears to get better at everything that they want to get better at. Yeah. And I know you've worked with a lot of clients who are looking to improve mobility and, you know, whether that's walking, dancing, running. So I'm excited to get into that. One thing that I think would be really interesting for my listeners to hear is your explanation of what neuroplasticity is. I love talking about neuroplasticity, but it can be an intricate topic that can be hard to understand. And yeah. so I'm curious, just how, how do you use it in your words? How would you explain what neuroplasticity is and how that relates to what you do? Yeah, I'll tell you, before that was even a language being used, I had a way of expressing it to people that I, I would say, you know, basically, I believe that everybody has potential because I could see that no matter how severe a situation, how far along in a, in a disease or how severe the injury, I could always help someone fill in the gap and find some kind of way of getting better. And so I, I called that believing in the potential. And I got a lot of pushback from clients because they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm over 40. I don't have any potential, you know, but they do. And I knew they did, but then literature started being published and there became a language around the fact that we know that the brain is plastic. It can change at all ages. And so that it helped me to really articulate and say, yeah, not, not only do I believe in your potential, but you can change your brain. And it's really as simple as learning a new skill. And so I'm going to teach you some new skills that are missing in your life that will help fill in the gaps, give you better movement. I love that because one thing that I tell my clients is that with neuroplasticity, it can be really challenging because you might not notice improvements for a while. And what that requires is staying consistent and therefore believing that it's possible, you know, exactly what you're saying, believing in, in the potential, because without that, you might not stay consistent long enough to reap the benefits. Exactly. So I like that, that definition. Awesome. What a lot of people might not know, especially if they haven't heard of you before, is that you use something specific in your work with your clients called the brain speedball. And again, people can't see you right now. So can you explain what this looks like and what it is, how it works, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a, an inflatable ball. It is about nine inches big. It's bright orange and it has A through Z and one through 12 printed on it. And it's essentially a game of catch that we play because what I wanted to do was make eye exercises and vestibular exercises really easy and really fun. Ultimately, I'm like eight years old inside. So if it can be made fun, I like to find a way to make it fun because ultimately, When you're talking about sensory training, it can be serious and feel serious and have serious implications, but we know that we can get faster access to your brain and your brain will stay curious and be interested if it's fun. And so there's really like a little biohack there that if we can make it fun, that the brain's like, yeah, let's do this. And it doesn't get shut down. doesn't have fear. doesn't get startled and responses that kind of make it harder to make progress. So I started looking at all the things that were available and I thought, you know, all these tools that these professionals are using are really important and, and useful and great. They're not fun. <laughs> and so how could it really just put this into a fun game that is received as a game first, but what is underneath the game 
is really powerful and just takes a few minutes to see results that will stick. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I think that's so powerful because a lot of the exercises, especially for neuroplasticity, when you're trying to regain a function that maybe has just weakened or been fully lost is that it's just repetition over and over again. And that can get really boring. So I love this concept of making it fun. And there, I believe there's actual research stating that the more fun you're having, the more you enjoy what you're doing, neuroplasticity is even more likely to kick in. Is that right? Yeah. And that's why I want people to stay curious because the fun keeps the curiosity alive in, in a scientific research driven perspective. And as soon as there's doubt, fear, question, what is this about? You really stop that process. You don't take on the new patterns because your brain sees it as a threat. And so to take away the threat, it's packaged up into a game because the game is fun. And that that is the first rule. If you lose the fun, you have to regroup. It has to go back to being fun. And I see this a lot with people that play with spouses or their kids or whoever it might be, their grandparents or parents, where they get kind of caught up in being perfect and playing the game, quote, right. And they start correcting the person, you know, make sure you do this and nope, don't not, no, don't drop it. Don't this. Now it's not fun. Now you have you're not doing it right. Now you have, you're failing. So we want the conversation to stay about fun. And I actually want you to drop the ball once in a while, because if you're dropping the ball once in a while, it's hard enough. If you can always catch the ball, it's not going to be fun. It's going to get boring. And it's not going to be hard enough to actually create the changes that you're looking for. Yeah. And what a cool way to measure success with fun. Usually people coordinate their or associate success with the amount of movement that they see, or if Mm. they, you know, did X, Y, Z, but how fun is that, that if you're having fun, that's success for your, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. 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 So can you give us an example of maybe a certain exercise that is a really common one that you can use this ball for and have fun when you're seated as well as maybe an option for if you're standing. So basically for someone who might not stand as much or they don't have standing endurance and then someone who does have that level of mobility. Yeah, so there's thousands of games to play. Truly, this is about making it accessible. So you can play by yourself. You could play with a friend or family or loved one, right? Or a professional that uses the ball as well. But if you're seated, you could just sit and toss the ball against the wall and catch it. And what you're doing is you're watching the ball go to the wall. You're watching it come back into your hands. So your eye tracking is built in. And then what you're doing is you're saying out loud what you see on the ball. Now, the reason we do that is because we want brain processing to be challenged. And that's where the brain speed ball name comes in. Because I want the eye tracking to be involved because we know if we can exercise our eyes, we get better output and the rest of our body. But also if we can make our brain more efficient in how it processes information that also contributes to how well we move and feel in our body. So when you catch the ball, you, you sensed where it is, you caught it, you see it, you decide what you're going to do, and then you act on it by saying it out loud. And by going through that sense, decide, act cycle, you're just reinforcing brain processing while using your eyes, but it's still fun. <laughs> it's got to, it's still got to stay the game. Like it, it gets into like a little science talk for a minute, but ultimately it comes back to having to be fun because if you lose that again, it's not going to be worth the time. And so would you do that just, you, I guess you could do that same exercise sitting or standing, but when you're standing, it's just also added balance. Yeah. So if you go standing, think of it like this in a seated position, you're pretty limited in how much you're going to move. You might lean 
left or right or forward or back. And that's going to be useful to take yourself off center. And, and I would encourage you to try and challenge yourself so that it's not just always straight to the middle of your body so that you really encourage to react. When you go to standing, you have more balance, but you also have more options and level because the ball might fall a little short and you have to bend down and get it. You have to lunge left and get it. You know, you have options of moving around. And oftentimes people, when they first start to play, they kind of like plant their feet, make themselves really stable and they want to play. And that's great to start, but you want to make sure that it's challenging enough so you're moving around. And we want this to be about movement in the end anyway. So, you know, the more you can move, the better, even if you have a restriction. I mean, I certainly have clients that I work with that are wheelchair bound and clients that simply can't stand unassisted. And there's a ton of ways to play because ultimately you have a game of catch, you're tracking, you're saying what you see out loud, but we can play with those elements too. So whether you're seated or standing, we could turn this into a word association game where instead of saying the letter, you'd name a word that starts with that letter. So then you can bring some cognitive challenging into the piece or name a color that starts with that letter. That's a fun one. We have lots of people that like the math game. So what we do is we, when you catch it, you find the number. And then every time you catch, you're adding. And what you say out loud is the number that is the sum. So you just keep adding to the number and then you can do subtraction, things like that. I like that. That definitely gets tricky, but it's cool because one thing that I teach my clients is that if you have difficulty doing two things at one time, like walking and having a conversation or even listening to someone at the same time that you're trying to stand up, one strategy that I teach is to practice doing a cognitive exercise at the same time as a physical one. You know, so you could be doing squats or practicing standing up while naming colors that start with the letter B or mm -hmm. like anything in your refrigerator that is a fruit. So it does pull that cognitive factor into play. Yeah, and I, we really encourage people to play the game as it is, just it's just a simple game of catch that you can play. But also mm -hmm. if you're doing other exercises, you can incorporate it into your exercise. You can multiply the benefits. So if you're doing an exercise where you're doing spine rotation, maybe you're doing like some simple spine twists, you could actually hold the ball and watch the ball go to the side to help because when your eyes move to the side your spine will move in that rotation side so you can actually encourage the spine movement by having the eyes lead that movement it gives you something else to do that's a task that the brain can engage with and it's not just a, a boring spine twist exercise but something that you have to multitask in, in essence for your brain yeah and i like that too because you can do it on your own so what about people who Maybe they live alone or they don't have someone that they could toss the ball with. How could they do the same type of game? Yeah, I would say that the majority of people that are using the ball are alone. They're by themselves. And so for me, I have one at both of my desks because that's how I do screen breaks. It's how I do like if I'm getting like stuck creatively on a project, that's how I recover and kind of regroup and get grounded. Or if I'm having a stressful day, it's how I get grounded and feel like I uh, regulate myself. So certainly against the wall. I do a game where I actually will bounce it on my hand, like palm up, palm down, bouncing it over and over again and watching it and calling the letters as they're bouncing. It's a little more advanced, but it's a game that I came up with by myself because I just kind of enjoy bouncing the ball around and it keeps it fun and fresh. Another one, you could hold the ball, you know, if catching the ball is not an option for you, because sometimes there's a lack of ability to just catch the ball as it's flying through the air. So you could hold the ball and you could just kind of like spin it in your hands and just change direction. So you might hold it over to the right and spin it and call it out louder change to the left, spin it, call it out loud. So you can just, you know, make sure there's some movement to the ball involved, even if you can't bounce and catch it physically. Yeah. And that reminds me too. One thing that I recently learned is that doing exactly what you're saying, how 
you know, moving your eyes to look for something side to side actually activates a specific part of our brain, the corpus callosum, which can turn off our fight or flight mode. And so, so many benefits to these exercises. Yeah. 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 Wow. And can you explain? I know you and I have talked before, so I have heard some of your success stories, but can you explain, you know, what types of at least mobility related outcomes have you seen yeah. in your clients who have used this technique? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorites was a gentleman who um, he was five years post stroke and he still had really limited range and use of the right side of his body for him. And so I took half the air out of the ball and asked him to catch it with his quote, good hand. So he could, you know, with it deflated, he could snag it and kind of like grab onto the material and play the same game of tracking and saying it out loud. And then I said, okay, I want you to use your right hand. He's like, well, I, I, I can't. I was like, well, let's just try. Cause in my, in my opinion, it's, it's a skill that he's got to learn again. And so let's see where he's at with the skill. And so about 10 in a row, he dropped it and dropped it and dropped it and just kept trying and kept trying. And finally he snagged it and you could see him come to life. Like I just caught that with my right hand. It's like, let's catch it again. Let's catch it over here. Now let's catch it over there. And then when we did his post-test, which we had him walk, we did just like a simple gait assessment for him to feel and for me to see. When he walked again, it was like night and day difference. And he said, it's been five years. I haven't had any changes in how I felt in five years. My walk feels better. I feel more balanced. I feel more sure-footed. It was, so it was kind of amazing. It was just like three minutes of playing a game. But because it really brought in his eyes, it brought in learning a new skill, his, his body responded really powerfully and really quickly. That kind of stuff is so inspiring because so often people feel like, I, I don't know if I, if I can change. I don't know if like, I can do this. It's been so long and I'm, this is just the way that I am. So I love those kind of occurrences because I think it helps people see that you're not alone in that ability and, and or lack of ability, and then it's possible to achieve it. Yeah. And just to clarify too, so you didn't do any walking or balance exercises in that time. No. It was just the hand-eye coordination and, and calling it out. Just wow. the tracking and the brain processing. Yeah. There was no, no proprioception, like exercises, no muscle joint exercises, not even mm -hmm. like practicing his walk. I didn't coach him on his walk or, you know, give him wow. walking exercises. It was just going to his senses because our eyes are top banana. That's where we get 80% of the information is through our eyes. And if there's a weakness there, then it has a big effect. And so I look at it more like if there's a weakness, that's an opportunity to fill in the gap. And I want to go there right away and not, not leave that on the table. Right. And that just brings me to a question I just thought of is what other diagnoses have you worked with? So you've, you've mentioned yeah. cerebral palsy, stroke, yeah. uh, MS, yeah. Parkinson's. I love the neurodivergent crowd because we've seen some really remarkable regulation happen and not just immediately, but for hours and days after. I'll just tell you really quickly. There was a young lady, she's 13 and I was at a conference teaching in my booth and her mom was like, I really would like you to work with with my daughter. And I was like, okay, that's great. But I don't want to make it about any kind of neurodivergent label. Okay. Can we make it about something she loves to do? And she's like, well, she's, she happens to be a dancer. I'm like, that's perfect. That's right up my alley, you know? And so when she came to the booth, I said, okay, I'm going to have you just like, what is your, what is your teacher? Like always kind of harping on you? Cause you know, if you've taken a dance class, you know that your dance teacher is always telling you something that's wrong and you got to fix something. So I said, what is your dance teacher harping you about? And she's like, well, when I jump my, my head's down, I don't jump very high. And I said, well, let's just, 
have you do in this ballroom, just like across the floor, the jumps that you would normally do in ballet class. Not me teaching her, not me telling her what to do or how to do it, but just her doing what she would normally do in class. And then we played a game of brain speed ball at a, at a level that was challenging for her. So she's dropping the ball once in a while. She's tracking it and saying it out loud. And I said, okay, now try your leaps again. And she jumped higher, her eyes were up without any coaching. I didn't tell her, look up, you know, jump higher. And she came over and she's like, what did you do? Like, like literally, what did you do? That is a magic trick. I, I can tell it feels so much better. And so it was awesome in that moment to have that win for her, but the real win came later. So we go on to the conference and I get back home and her mom sends me a message and she's like, I just got to tell you what happened. Because what you don't know is earlier in the day, when you, the day that you saw my daughter, we were outside and we, she wanted to see the Las Vegas Strip because that's where the conference was. So I took her out in the strip. She was crossing the street and got so overwhelmed from all the sensory input that was going on. She just basically collapsed. And I had to like carry her off the road and get her back to the hotel to recover. Then she saw you. And then that night, there is the annual party at the conference. She said, normally when she comes with me, which she normally does every year, she lasts about a half an hour. Then we go back to the room, make it dark, quiet, so she can recover. And she said, Trent, we went to the party. We stayed for three hours. We got back to the hotel and she was fine. For the first time in her life, didn't have this reaction that she would normally have that they planned for that would be you know, acceptable and normal. And that's where the win was because we never made it about any label or diagnosis or concern that the mom might have. We made it about what's fun and interesting and curious for her, but it also affected her regulation and integration of sensory input. It was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. And it really just goes to show that there is a lot of overlap, you know, doing one thing, one game can help with many different things, not just mobility, but also, right. you know, in this case, the sensory overstimulation. So that's, yeah, that's a huge win. Yeah. Uh, but I got to tell you that one of my favorite wins is, is really simple. And I don't think that she realized how powerful it was until like later, because I was at a, I was at a conference and I was speaking with a group of doctors at an MS fundraiser. And so I said, you know, what I want to do is have a volunteer come up on stage and play this game with me, which is a huge risk, which I kind of love. I'm going to just like put myself out there and let's see if I can make something happen in, in five minutes in front of a thousand people. Okay, let's see if we can make this happen. Right. <laughs> and so she comes up and she uses a cane and she put her cane down and she played the game with me for a few minutes and she was standing taller. She looked a little brighter, a little better mood. And I was like, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming up. And then she walked off stage without her cane. And she's like, what? I'm like, you didn't need your cane to walk off stage. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't. I didn't even remember that I needed a cane. I didn't even go for my cane. And that was a huge win because that, that shows the confidence that can happen or the lack of confidence of getting used to using that device, which in so many cases is useful and necessary, but also we rely on it. And so that becomes just you know, a natural part of who we are, but to to show that you can still do things without your walking device was pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think those feelings that become associated with the other strength gains is more of what it's about. You know, if you can ultimately feel more confident, more empowered, more energetic, mm -hmm. that's going to change your life. Yeah. Maybe even more so than improving your walking alone. So that's yeah. so great to hear. I'm assuming that by now people are more interested in the brain speed ball. Can you share where people can find you and the ball and how, how they can reach out and learn more? Yeah, I would invite you to go to fireupyourbrain.com 
And we have uh, three programs there, one aimed for kids, one for seniors and one for athletes. And then very soon in the next couple of months, we have two new programs that I put together. One is for concussion recovery and one is for Parkinson's and those will come out soon. I'm really excited about those. So we try to target populations and so each program has games unique and specific to the condition and to the population. And then you can read more about my story. I, you know, I sort of like spill my guts about how I failed first grade and what happened and the relevance of all of that there too. So awesome. I love that story. Yeah. I will put that link in the show notes for anyone wondering. And just again, Trent, thank you so much for being here with us, for sharing your expertise and all about what you do and how you do it. Again, it's so unique and it's fun, which is what it's all about. So thank you again for your time today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And one more thing before you go, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Trent was our Missing Link guest speaker a few years back in our program. And the main difference between hearing a speaker as a podcast guest versus a Missing Link guest speaker is that when they're in the program with us as a guest speaker, they are not only able to educate us on similar things to what you hear in this podcast, but they are also able to answer specific questions. So if you had any questions throughout this episode, you would be able to join us in our Missing Link program and ask those questions to our speaker, which is a really unique opportunity. Also, we meet on Zoom, so you can see our speakers talk, and especially in this case, you can see the ball, you can see these exercises that he was explaining. So there is a difference between listening to our guests on a podcast versus the Missing Link guest speaker. I just wanted to clarify that because I've had a few questions as to what the difference is and what the benefits are of the Missing Link guest speakers versus the podcast. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.